0: You You are are now now listening listening to Close on Sunday, a UCYM podcast. Hello everyone, it is your host Vanessa Barajas and welcome back to Close on Sunday, the podcast. Today we will be diving into how we define Catholic education. From as early as preschool to as late as university, there is a Catholic school system that many children may follow. But just what are the benefits of following or participating in such a system? This is what our guests will help us answer today. We start this episode with Dr. Molly Cinnamon, who is the principal of Pope John XXIII, a private Catholic school in Evanston, Illinois, which provides education from preschool to middle school. Okay, so uh, today I'm interviewing Dr. Molly Cinnamon, uh, school principal of Pope uh, Pope John XXIII, uh, to learn about what it's like to be a principal at a Catholic school and uh, more specifically what Catholic schooling entails and requires. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Cinnamon. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. I am such an honored guest to be here and talking about Catholic education is one of my favorite topics. So I'm looking forward to visiting with you.
0: Thank you. Um, So first of all, I would like a bit of background if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, I would like to ask you, how did you become the principal of Pope
1: John? (laughs) It's kind of a fun story. So um, I had spent time probably roughly 20 years in public education before I crossed over to the world of Catholic education. And I grew up Episcopal, so I wasn't even a Catholic when this started to strike my interest. And I remember very clearly being, um, I was a professor at National Lewis University and I was teaching aspiring school leaders. And so it's a room full of teachers who want to be principals, right? And one of the women in my class um, is a Catholic school principal. And she had just taken over this tremendous role. And she was assigned to me as almost like a, I guess I could say doing her internship for lack of a better word with me. And so my job was to go to her school. It was Faith, Hope and Charity in Winnetka. I was supposed to go there like once a month and check in with her and make sure things were going okay. The thing that became so apparent to me so quickly was every time I visited, I never wanted to leave. I thought to myself, this is so yummy. Like everything about childhood is respected here. Mm-hmm. And then you throw faith in on top of it as a public school educator, I was just thrilled. So I'd walk in, and of course, with all of this background in public ed, I would see all of these crosses on the walls, and I was like, "Wow, this is like really unique." Because I don't know that, right? As an educator, what I came quickly to learn is what a beautiful gift it is to offer your children the gift of Catholic education. First of all, it's a huge commitment on the behalf of a family, right? So it's It's financial, certainly, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's academic, it's all of those things. And then the other piece that goes with that is that, you know, it's something that I think uh, a family grows up with faith or some families don't. And what we're doing is we're realizing as Catholic schools in 2022 is that we need to make room at the table for all of it, especially since covid so we really try to welcome and, and um, greet everybody. We call it the spirit of Encuentro at our door with um, meeting folks where they are mm-hmm. and accompanying them on their journey, whether they are longtime Catholics or whether they are kind of seeking shelter in the storm right now because the world's on fire, right? Mm-hmm. So when they choose us, we really do meet them where they are. We walk alongside them on their family's journey and education. And Pope John really prides itself on that. Um, I became the principal kind of in a strange way. So I was at a um, I was at Faith Open Charity as their music teacher and kind of as a dean slash AP because I wasn't yet Catholic. And during my time there, I was there five years, and I did things like teach music. Go on the eighth grade Washington trip. Um, I was the director of the eighth grade play, which was my favorite um, and I was Episcopal. So I believe all the things Catholics believe, but I, I hadn't been, and I had been confirmed as Episcopal and also um, baptized and all of that. So um, I remember meeting with the pastor and saying, you know, I'm up there on the altar every week for school mass mm-hmm. as the music teacher. And I'm not able to partake of the sacrament. And I would really like to model that for my students and I believe in it so deeply. So is there any way that I can become a Catholic in my forties? And he was great. Father Marty He's just the best. And he said, you know what? You've been baptized. You've received communion as a, as an Episcopal, we're going to have to do kind of a creative, you know, like development, spiritual development for you to do this. And I remember receiving the Sacrament of Confirmation in the Catholic Church at Easter Vigil during my time at Faith, Hope and Charity. It was so significant to me because both of my children came, my mom, my husband, and I made that commitment before the church and before God and my family as an adult, which was kind of cool. And no one becomes a Catholic in their forties. And I did, so I was really proud of that. and then I was wandering through NCEA, which is a National Catholic Educators event. It's a, it's a um, conference every year. It was held in Chicago that year. It's a couple of years ago, I think uh, four years ago now. And I was walking down the like thoroughfare in the middle of the conference center. And I ran into an old friend that I taught with in the public schools who was now a principal in the Catholic schools. And he said, Molly, I think it's time. And I said, mm-hmm. time for what? I was checking my logic, what's the time for And He said, I need you to get back into the principal life. And I was like, mm, I've done that in the public schools and now I'm teaching in a Catholic school. I love it. I'm kind of leading there too. And I said, no, we need you. And the school's Pope John and it's right there in Evanston. And I have to be really honest with you. I li- Vanessa, I live in Evanston. And I was like, Pope, where's Pope John? I don't know what you're talking about. And Pope John is this jewel is nestled as you all know right south of maine or washington it's kind of snug right in there people don't really know about it and it's this beautiful diverse gorgeous school and i remember thinking to myself um i'm gonna look into this he said just just call them the principal's retiring and as a principal to principal i can say when somebody's retiring, that's a happy normal move. It's not like someone who's had it and getting out of there. So Gail Hulse had come off of the bench from retirement. She'd been there four years. She led magnificently, looking to retire. And I called, I sent in my resume. That was on a Tuesday. On Sunday, I interviewed with the school board and was offered the job on my way home from the interview. I remember walking out of the interview and thinking, man, that, it, it was a two hour, Interview at the school board president's home at his dining room table. Chris Adams, still a really good friend, and I remember thinking to myself, I really hope that these people find the right person because they're awesome and their school sounds awesome. Like I wasn't even thinking it was a possibility for me, and I was in my car driving to meet a friend in from out of town for brunch. I was so late, and I called and I said, "Will I'm coming?" You know, <laughs> my phone rang again. I said, "Hello," and they said, "This is Father Tito." <laughs> from St. Nicholas and I heard that you're interested in Pope John and I'd like to talk to you about it. And I just, it was like a love affair with Pope John the 23rd, it's a whirlwind romance. Um, and I just loved it. And I've never looked back, it's my fourth year and I will never not be in Catholic education and I will never not work in a place of authentic diversity um, because of my experiences. So that's kind of how I got there.
0: Thank you. Um, so you advocate, obviously, a lot for private um, Catholic schools and why they're so important. Um, and I think I've, I've also heard of you uh, in other interviews talk about the opportunities that children can have in Catholic schools. So what are some of these examples that you can give us for different uh, opportunities?
1: Great question. So we enjoy two partnerships that are really strong with two Catholic universities. One is Notre Dame and one is DePaul University. And a fun fact, I didn't know this until I started being an adjunct faculty for DePaul, but um, DePaul is the largest Catholic university in the world. So it's, a, it's right here in Chicago. So it's like a no-brainer. And they're just brilliant at a lot of things, but they're super extra brilliant at their equity work with empathy, compassion, and belonging, um, which is a commitment Pope John makes to every family and every faculty member. Um, So we enjoy those partnerships. And because of those partnerships, our faculty has very targeted and magnificent professional development. So that's great for teachers. And our children and families are afforded great opportunities because of our partnership with Notre Dame and uh, DePaul. For example, through Notre Dame, we enjoy three partnerships. One of them is called LEI. It's the Latino Enrollment Institute. And my marketer, Denise DuLoya. and I go there every summer and we learn about specific, authentic, targeted enrollment of our Latinx community. So Pope, uh, Pope John loves having two parish sites, two worship sites of St. Mary's and St. Nicholas in our unified parishes. But St. Nicholas in particular right here on campus has a beautiful Latinx population. And we have noticed over the span of several years that for a lot of reasons, and of course COVID plays into this too, families weren't choosing Pope John, who attended St. Nicholas, who identified as Latinx families. And we thought to ourselves, this is really strange. Like, why? why is this happening? So going to this conference, LEI at Notre Dame has taught us that there are really authentic ways to engage the Latino community. And what's been really cool is like, for example, the other program we enjoy from Notre Dame is called ECLIP, which is the early childhood language intensive, it used to be preschool. Now it is programmed because it has been so successful last year, that this year we're rolling it up from pre-K three to pre-K four and including kindergarten, which means every child in the early childhood program at Pope John is taught 30 minutes a day of a core subject in Spanish. And that is led by two teachers, um, Veronica Mian, Mrs. Mian, and also Mrs. Sarah Varela, who is, they're both native speakers. They've been at Pope John for a while. They're preschool teacher assistants, but in this role, they are elevated to that of lead teacher with their training and professional development. And they teach our kids and our children in the grades three, four, and five, or ages, I should say, three, four, and five are speaking, um, praying, and singing in Spanish at times, in my opinion, more comfortably than they are in English because <laughs> they've had so much of it, which has been really powerful. And um, The other thing I would say is, through the Latino Enrollment Institute that I mentioned earlier at Notre Dame, we've also learned really authentic ways like having a Madrinas um, group of mamas who are moms and parents in the Latinx community who are part of our school, who are part of St. Nicholas or even St. Mary's, who have um, joined our team in a way to authentically welcome, celebrate and honor the culture and traditions and language of the Latinx population. For example, there's that night every year where families, all who are interested in benefiting from our scholarship program, have to log on at the same time every you know every year. Like it's by the minute, and if you miss that login. You don't get these opportunities. And so we were saying to ourselves, my goodness, like I'm a mother of college kids. I've done that FAFSA every year in my native language and it's a challenge. So imagine having to do it in a language that is not your own, when it's your finances and all of these things. So we have figured out a way to have our Latinx madrinas greet families that night. We tried to do it last year, but with the surge in January, we had to cancel it. looking to do it again this year in January as part of our Catholic Schools Week. It's an open house where these family members who are madrinas will welcome families who identify as Latinx to actually speak Spanish with them and help them navigate this login system for these scholarships. Because if you don't, If it's not presented to you in a language that's comfortable for you and you're trying to do all of this very time sensitive and financially sensitive information, it's hard. And so to have someone sitting right next to you who is a parent at Pope John, who understands your commitment, that's important. And then the last thing I really wanted to highlight is we've learned a lot about tuition. So for example, I don't care how your culture identifies because this applies to anybody, not just our Latinx folks, but If you're somebody who works in your family and you're paid like, let's just say in cash weekly for your job, and I'm billing you monthly for tuition electronically, that doesn't really work. It's not meeting families where they are. It's not that spirit of Encuentro. So we've learned like, hey, if you're making your salary in cash, I'm gonna start billing you however you prefer to be billed. And some families come to us, my gosh, Vanessa, and they'll say, I'm gonna give you a whole semester in cash right now. And I know how to do that. I know how to, now I know because of these programmings and my own professional development, I know how to meet families where they are and welcome them in a way that's authentic and meet them where they are so that they're paying for their child's school. The other thing is um, fair is not always equal So for example, some families, I mean, really you should only be giving up, I think it's like 6% of your take-home income should be what you're asked for your child's Catholic school tuition. So your take-home income for one family might be different for another. It certainly is, right? So why am I billing them the same way? doesn't make sense. So we're really authentic. And sometimes a family will call me and say, I've heard great things about your school, Dr. C. I want to enroll my child. I can't do X, but I can do Y. And I want that kid in my school because they believe in and they deserve a Catholic education. So I'm willing to kind of think outside of the box with my marketer to say, what can you comfortably give us a month from your salary Let's work with you. And then there's all these other funding resources. There's the Phoenix Caritas Scholarship. There's all sorts of COVID relief funds that we used when COVID was happening. Um, We're really creative and we have beautiful donors, family donors that say, you know, here's this amount of money every year in honor of my alum, in honor of my father who went to Pope John who passed away and he left all this money. I want to give this to you. That money I take gratefully and I apply towards scholarships because we want our kids to come and I'm willing to work with families so that they can come to our school.
0: Uh, Dr. Simmons, I think also in a different interview, uh, you were talking about how Pope John 23rd also kind of prepares uh, children to talk about difficult topics with uh, racial injustice. Um, What are some opportunities that children have in your school to learn about those things?
1: So I'm really glad you asked that. Thank you, Vanessa. So um, Pope John the 23rd is committed to equity, empathy, compassion, and belonging. Um, Those other three words I mentioned, equity, empathy, and compassion, those are kind of educational buzzwords right now. The one I'm really hyper-focused on right now with my faculty and with my families and my students is, and parishioners too, is that idea of belonging. So kids aren't gonna raise their hand in a classroom if they don't feel they're part of a community. Actually, the research tells us that. Research done through SEL, social emotional learning, will tell us that kids who don't hear their name mentioned in the first few minutes they're in a classroom are less likely to raise their hand. So if you're in a classroom and you're a student and you're asked a question and you're not sure whether or not you're part of the community and you're not gonna raise your hand, that's a learning loss. We need learning opportunities. So we wanna make sure everyone feels seen and valued and loved every single day. The difficult communication and conversation part comes in when kids and they are children, right? So it's our job to teach them. And oftentimes children that make decisions about how they speak or how they interact with someone different than themselves or how they identify, that comes just because they're children. So we take advantage of those opportunities. And I have one that happened today. That's a very ripe moment that's fresh in my brain. There's many of them. But I had a student sitting at the lunch table, a middle school student. This is kind of a horror story, but I think it speaks to the work we're doing. And a child next to him said, the child himself identifies as a black or brown student. The child speaking to him was white and said, hey, these are potato chips, what kind are they? And the child said, salt and vinegar. And from that, they said, well, salt and then trying to get that child to say the atrocious N word, term. That's when my day stops, everything stops, and that becomes my top priority. So I sat on the playground when I heard this story from a student, and the first thing we did was pull the kids together. We sat on the playground and we unpacked it. And I explained very clearly that that word is hate speech, is isn't tolerated and it's hurtful. And the next thing I did was email the parents and just say, not accusatory, not specific kids called out. In your classroom, this issue came up. It is hate speech. It is um, racist and we don't tolerate it at our school. And one of the children who's new to us in middle school this year from the public school said, I had this same problem in my public school and I said, I'm so glad you told me that because we're going to make sure it doesn't happen here again. And that's the that's the dynamic that I'll stop everything that's happening because the learning won't continue if we don't unpack that and we sit with it for a little bit. That's where DePaul comes in. I've mentioned Notre Dame. DePaul's partnership with us is strictly around um, inequity and social justice. So Dr. Donna Keel is my thought partner and her team, including Dr. Um, Tina Curry, who came and spoke to our eighth graders, not just at our school, but in our leadership day, composing of eighth graders from all eight schools in our council. We talked last week on Friday at Pope John, we hosted this group of 280 some eighth graders and Dr. Curry from DePaul about how do we grow leadership, authentic leadership in our students so that they go off to school and off to college and they choose education. I want them to come back and choose leadership in our Catholic schools. I got to grow the next generation of Dr. Cinnamon's and Dr. Curry's because, and and Mr. James, I got to grow those folks so that they'll come back into the fold and lead our schools. And what's really important as a white woman that I sit with every single day, I have to surround myself with a team of people of color. So Mr. James and I are like this because whenever I have an issue that bubbles up with my students of color, I want him next to me because this isn't my lens, it's his and he's an expert and the kids have his respect and he has theirs. So hey, they have mine as well. But hearing this tough conversation from somebody who looks like them That's the win because I'm just another white person telling them, Oh, it's fine. It's not fine. It's not going to be fine until we fix it. and We have a long way to go, but Pope John over the last three years, ever since George Floyd was murdered, frankly, we have made our efforts centered around equity, empathy, inclusion, compassion, social justice, and belonging. And I do that work not by myself. I have a team professionals around me and my staff is magnificent and we we sit with these hard topics because our kids are counting on us so i won't let a conversation like that oh that's uncomfortable i don't you know, when i grew up i'm 52 so i'm kind of old but when i grew up i was told like those conversations are polite religion money race you don't talk about those things it's uncomfortable for people and not at pope john if i hear a kid talking about stuff like this because I know they're wrestling with it. Let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Let's live with it. Because otherwise they're just going to go about their day thinking it's fine. And it's not fine. And it makes someone else feel unseen, unrecognized, uncared about. And Pope John won't have that. So we looked at our experts at DePaul, um, Dr. Keel, Dr. Curry, their team. And I'm honored to be a part of that team as an adjunct professor. So I'm really kind of in both worlds right now. And I wanna be part of also growing the next generation of teachers and teacher leaders and administrators who will do this work because our kids deserve it and they're counting on us.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Dr. Cinnamon, you, you mentioned something very important here about growing the next generation. And so my question would be, how does Pope John 23rd ensure that children are applying their faith and their abilities and their talents even after graduating?
1: We need to make it easier to come to church and not harder. So exclusivity is not gonna work. You know, you can't be this and be a Catholic is not gonna work. It has to be, you're welcome to come however you show up and we'll learn from you and you'll learn from us. And if you don't feel like crossing yourself today, that's okay, I'm not gonna grade you on that. If you don't feel like taking communion today, but you're gonna sit quietly and respectfully in your pew and kind of take it all in. I tell my non-Catholic students, Take a moment to practice some gratitude. You don't have to pray, but think about something in your life that means something to you that you're glad is part of your life. Maybe it's mom, dad, baseball coach, your dog, Taco Tuesday, whatever it is. I mean, we all have things that we love, right? That are part of our daily life. Um, I love my Starbucks. My morning coffee means everything to me. I'm grateful to God that I have the means to purchase a cup of coffee every morning on my way to work. It helps me start my day on a positive foot. That's something I'm grateful for. It sounds silly, but if you can start there, you can meet anybody where they are and just make them feel welcome, I think.
0: Thank you, Dr. Cinnamon. Uh, Those were uh, my main questions that I had for you today. Thank you so much for your time. The second section i speak with ronabel castillo which is one of her podcast members ronabel graduated recently from a private jesuit research university named Loyola university of chicago and so she reflects on how her catholic education at luc guided her career exploration post-grad and so uh ronabel can you give us um just a short uh reason for or explanation for why you chose uh, Loyola university of chicago over any other school and also why you were thinking about a catholic university
2: So Loyola University is actually really close to my home, uh, back when I was still living there, Um, literally like 10 minutes away. Um, It just kind of made sense. But me and my family were really excited that it was a Jesuit university. So, um, you know, like growing up, I did public school, like never went to any like Catholic school, um, just did like religious ed on Sundays. And like, that's about it. Like that's as close as you would get to like a religious class. Um, But I kind of chose Loyola, um, one, because I like distance and, you know, the campus is beautiful. People were great, Um, but I mean, they just have such a great, I think, I don't know if I would say like great campus ministry, Um, not that that's slander, (laughs) you can cut that out, (laughs) (laughs) but they, you know, their chapel is beautiful. It it looks like a church. Um, I, like when I had joined uh, Loyola, I also joined a Christian living community, so CLC, Um, specifically I joined a Filipino one Um, so it was good to also just see people my age who are also involved in their faith and then um, back when we still had the seminary at Loyola like that was really cool to just see like other Jesuits and um, you know other young people studying to be priests which is really awesome.
0: Yeah so it seems like it was a combination of like obviously like being close to your uh, your family's home and it just being convenient for you to go but also it fits some of the factors that you were looking for in a university right Mm -hmm. yeah so I know that Loyola um even though um we do have some like basic like tier one and tier two theological uh courses that you have to take do you remember any uh, experiences positive or
2: negative that you had with uh either the tier one or tier two theological courses um I actually loved all of my like Tier one, tier two, like all theology classes that I took, because for a moment there I had a minor in theology um, because I was just like super interested in taking all these um, theological classes. Um, Like learning about religion outside of Catholicism as well, um, and kind of, you know, seeing the relationships between Catholicism and the other religions, um, just kind of seeing what else was out there and kind of comparing the two. But, yeah, I've had, like, such, like, great professors at Loyola for theology. Like, whenever I, like, look back at those classes, I'm like, that was such a great class. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, And, you know, not everyone who goes to Loyola is Catholic. Um, So, it was nice that they weren't trying to push anything. But then, at Mm -hmm. the same time, they definitely held their ground um, with their beliefs as well. So, it was just a really great experience. Like, I feel like I learned so much, um, which, I mean, obviously, is the point of going to the class. (laughs) But... Um, I think much more than I would have just, you know, besides just doing like regular Sundays and things like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I know that the, one, the first class you take for the tier theology classes, is just like an overall class that you learn not only about uh, Catholicism, but also other religions. Uh, what
2: did you end up taking for your tier two class? Oh, what did I take for my tier three? Oh, okay. Here we go. I took, uh, BO279, Roman Catholicism, which yes. was so awesome. Um, because there's so much more to learn. Like it definitely like helped me put the Bible into context, um, into history and things like that. Um, learning things about the church and our traditions that I like would not have known if I like didn't ask about it. Um yeah, because I mean there's just the like Christian history is so rich and has such a long history, you know, it's so hard to cover everything in Sunday school, um, and regular masses, and even just doing, like, a Bible study, like, there are just some things you can't cover unless you really take a class, like, dedicated towards that thing, so that was, I really enjoyed that class, I think it was great.
0: Yeah, I agree, I think a lot of professors are very intentional with, like, knowing that if you're, if you're teaching a, a class about a religion, you have to kind of structure in a way that's uh consumable by the student you probably can't teach the whole bible in just one semester so right. it's it's really good that the professors are thinking about uh how the students are going to tackle the course mm-hmm. but I also wanted to move to like more of a social aspect with like going to Loyola because like besides the classes that you're offered there uh did you ever like end up forming like a, a friend circle that you could like take opportunities of like campus ministry or uh go to mass with like whenever you had the opportunity
2: yeah I think it's surprising because like we went to a catholic university so you would kind of assume that most of the people go so catholic yeah but that kind of ends up like not being the case um so when I joined uh the Filipino CLC through campus ministry um it was something that was really great to like Thai culture but our religion as well um because Catholicism is so important um for most Filipinos. Um so being able to like talk about our faith, um just you know, even if even if it was just like a few of us, I think the most at one time we had was like 15 people, which was really great to get kind Mm -hmm. of have like small group um where like we would meet every week um after classes and just kind of you know talk for like an hour, an hour and a half and be like I, it's kind of like having one of those like small group reflections at like a retreat. Um, But it was just great to like check in every week. Um, We would read some scripture, um, maybe talk about, you know, what's kind of going on. And it was really great because sometimes we'd be like, okay, guys, like, especially like Lenten season or Christmas season. uh, Like before COVID, we used to do this thing called Simbango B, which for Filipino Catholics, you know, we go to church near Christmas season. Um, So planning these things together and being like hey like I'm planning on going on this mass would anyone like to join um having things like that was really nice to just have that little community because it's actually not that big um even though you go to a catholic university so yeah
0: yeah did you ever have like difficulties like because I know not all catholics want to go to mass they they might still be catholic but it just doesn't resonate with them have you ever had a a conversation with like maybe one of your friends and and they had to explain to you like hey I, I don't want to go to mass with you just because like I don't that's not something I do often
2: um surprisingly I haven't really had that where like they were catholic and they didn't really want to go to mass like for a reason other than like I simply can't make it for right. you know um, but yeah usually when I would offer or like if I was offered it was like we would all go um but within the CLC, it's, like, not strictly Catholic. So you have some people who are Christian, um, like, a different denomination. So, you know, it kind of made sense that they wouldn't want to go to Mass. So I'm, like, totally respect that. Um, but, yeah, I, I never ran into that. But I have ran into, like, like, a few moments where, I don't know, because it's not super Catholic. And there are some people who, like, maybe their families are Catholic. But then, you know, as you get older, you kind of move away from the church and things like that Uh, where there's kind of, like, why are you still going to Mass? Mm. Or, like, I don't know, a a lot of, like, doubting questions. Um, Which, you know, I I kind of understand, but at the same time, it's like, this is what I believe in. And sometimes it's hard to, like, hold your ground, but you have to.
0: Would you say that during your time, because you went to Loyola and because it happened to be during your early 20s, which is, like, a rustling time with, like, you start... Sometimes questioning things or just reinforcing your beliefs, or the opposite goes. Do you think that this was the time for you to? Because it sounds like what happened with you is that you had a positive experience going to Loyola, and and that experience helped your faith grow even more. Would you say that's correct?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think too, like I think those religion classes definitely helped um, to have professors who um, were still respectful of you know people who are you know still questioning or. Who, why not we're just like taking the class because it's a core class and you have to. Sorry, someone's printing. There's a concert <laughs> in my office. um Should I wait? I'm gonna wait real quick.
0: Yeah, of course, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah.
2: I think the religious classes like really helped me like learn more. And I mean, personally for me, it's kind of like it, there was some time where I was really grappling, like you know, with Catholicism and my faith and things like that, just because. I was kind of like, well, I don't really know much. And if if I'm not, if I don't know much, then like, why am I, you know, here? So being able to like hear from these professors and other people through campus ministry and just learning, um, I think really solidified my faith, which was awesome. Because I I don't think I would have gotten that at, you know, a different university that wasn't um, rooted in its Catholic beliefs.
0: And now that you're working in something that's related to your faith, do you think that it was also especially important that you went to Loyola to kind of solidify
2: your feelings and uh, with your faith, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I I didn't go to a Catholic university, um, I I don't think I would have ended up, you know, working in the church and feeling solid in my faith. Right. Um, and now that I'm in this position, I'm kind of like, huh, I kind of want to, you know, want to learn more. You know, there's it's never ending because there is so much to learn, and it, it's really. I've only had 22 years of life (laughs) and I feel like, you know, Catholicism has been around for so long and it's something you can digest within just 22 years. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's going to continue to like come back to you, especially with your job going to have more, uh, more new experiences rather than just like the maybe traditional academic experience you had in a classroom, just learning basic facts here. You're actually interacting with people, maybe, uh, some people that have different styles and being a Catholic. A final question that I have is, like, what would you advise a student that is, like, looking at different schools, maybe they're not Catholic, but they're thinking about Loyola being uh, where they want to go? Would you advise them to go even if they're not Catholic?
2: Yeah, I would say, like, definitely go even if you're not Catholic, um, because, you know, it may be a Catholic university and, like, we preach those values, but at the same time, we're not going to be like you must be Catholic, and if you're not, right. like, welcome here. Um, uh, yeah, I think you would be surprised um, by the amount of people who are kind of like indifferent. Like, I'm not going to, you know, go around campus and be like, "Are you Catholic?" Um, and kind of give you the side eye if you're not. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, love, and if you are Catholic, it is an amazing place to be. There's so many resources and. Uh, tons of people to, like, reach out to and connect with, so, yeah.
0: Thank you. I, I agree. I think that um, Loyola might surprise a lot of people, because there might be a weird connotation with like, oh, it's a Catholic university. There's certain things. Maybe they're not as cool as, like, the non-religious university that you go to, but, like, I think that, so far, Loyola has surprised me a lot with, like, how accepting it is, welcoming of different religions, and it's not always um especially in the tier one classes when you kind of feel like maybe the professor is focusing more catholicism rather than like the other faiths because you you gotta you have to know about everything else rather than just like your own native faith
2: right, right. And, I, and i'll say to you like especially like if you're not catholic and you identify with a different religion like loyola has been super well about like including other religions and you know there are literal like spaces that they have for uh, people who practice other religions as well so I thought that was really nice that it's not just Catholic um, even though I am Catholic myself so
0: <laughs> yeah awesome thank you so much for uh, these uh, answers have been very good and I'm sure they're going to help a lot of people uh, in case they're listening and they're thinking about Loyola thinking about just like what's been going on and how it helps people in a way get a job and like solidify their <laughs> faith as well right So thank you very much for um, your advice and um, all
2: your answers. Thank you for having me. I know it's been a minute. (laughs) Hi guys. So here in this
0: section, we're gonna be talking to Joel now, who also is going to uh, Loyola University of Chicago. And so we wanna get his opinions, his experiences, uh, and also like his reasons for why he chose this university over other universities. So Joel, could you give us like a brief A quick explanation of like why you chose uh, LUC over like any other college or uh, what was your process like senior year in high school?
3: Uh, For sure Um, so actually I went to a Catholic high school they gave me a little bit more of a scholarship and uh, I visited Loyola and DePaul and I just liked both of them Uh, I think I visited I don't know if I visited Northwestern I didn't do a lot for college. I literally just like Loyola and I liked DePaul. And I was like, either way, I'm gonna get a scholarship because automatically there's the Catholic Heritage Scholarship. And then with everything else that I do, um, so I was just like, well, let's just see. So I applied to both, got into both. They both offered me the same amount of money. So I was just like, mm, I just chose Loyola because it looked nicer. <laughs>
0: No, yeah, that's understandable. There's like some uh, financial reasons for it, why you went. Um, so part of like Loyola, what makes it special and part of it like being, because if it's a Catholic university, right? You are required to take two uh, theological classes when in, uh, that's like the first tier and then the second tier. Um, so have you completed those? Like, And if so, can you like tell me like what your experience like positive or negative, like a brief experience about those classes?
3: Uh, yeah, I took Theo 100, I think. It's just a baseline theology class, nothing crazy. And then I took, for Tier 2, I took theology through time. I don't, I forgot the name of the professor, but he was cool. He was one of the coolest professors ever. He let me turn in a paper late. And when I got mm-hmm. it in, uh, he just gave me an A because I wrote 14 pages. Those only six nice. pages. So I did like a crazy amount of research for that class. For that last paper. I went ham. I'm still very, very proud of that work. <laughs> and he read it and he's just like, Yeah, that's cool. That's 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 just a you, you, that's great. That's great. So I was like, that's what's up. For the life of me, I cannot remember his name whatsoever. I might have a syllabus somewhere. Um yeah, it was dope. Um it's theology i i think my freshman year uh we didn't touch on anything too crazy until we got to like liberation theology at the end and i was like yo this is yeah. sick literally talking about salvation in terms mm-hmm. of liberating people liberating oppressed people um mm-hmm. uh, so it's it spoke to me my freshman year my professor was wasn't the best he wasn't the worst um but i individually content wise um was really drawn to that information and then theology through time was just a trip um it that class was just like literally going through each and every it's like catholic history pretty much and that was pretty dope because it kind of just took care of like a lot of misconceptions um so we talked about like the different vatican councils uh we talked about the dead sea scrolls uh we talked about just like literally everything. And then we did work our way up to um, you know, liberation theology. Um, so yeah, two, two great experiences, um, but two that are very much centered, not by like the professor, like you know, my second professor was dope. first professor was okay, um, but really it was content wise that just answered a lot of questions for me about Catholicism.
0: What really interests me is like your journey and your education has kind of, you started off with Catholic schooling earlier before you came to uh, LUC, but then you continued in your early 20s. Do you think continuing, uh, not, I don't know if it's necessarily the traditional Catholic education, but in your early 20s, do you think that has kind of helped you with your um, identity or identity um, formation with your faith? Or do you think it's kind of actually also made you wrestle with faith at the same time because you really realizing more things coming into college
3: yeah i think it helped me and like i said I just answered questions that i had throughout my journey as uh through going through catholic um like ccd and, and i like saturday school because i went to public school so i took uh, religious ed on saturday mornings which sucked because I wanted to watch cartoons anyway so uh it filled in a lot of gaps and it really let me play with theology and, and mold it because um, I think like as when learning anything right like you think about like kids and stuff like that learning anything you just get like sloppy and messy with everything and you just you just see the ins and out and you just get to play with it and I think that in college, it was very liberating to, to have access to that information and have questions answered. Because I remember being a kid and being like, why are we worshiping Jesus if Jesus is a man? Like we're told to only worship God. So like, why are we worshiping a man? Um, isn't that blasphemous? And then my brother was just like, no, don't don't say that. And then I tried to ask my CCD instructors and like, "Whoa, well, like he is God. And I was like, I never really got an answer until college. So I got to ask all my crazy questions Um, that aren't that crazy. It's just the reality of the situation when you're trying to learn about something. So it was liberating. It felt nice um, in terms of identity. I think it, it helped inform my Catholic identity. Um, the pandemic challenged that and I think now more than ever like I feel like my connection to Catholicism has just transformed entirely I don't know it's just kind of a process so it was the theological questions and then real world stuff
0: yeah of course <laughs> um I asked we this question because I think it's an important one but um do you did you manage because I know not everybody that goes to that QLUC is Catholic from different uh, varieties we have, right? So did you ever end up forming at least a circle, a friendship circle that was a uh, couple of Catholics? Or do you feel like you struggle with that because everybody there is so different that you can't really just form a group that is the same, right? So do you feel like you've ever got an experience to like, let's say like you had a couple of friends that you could go to mass with or like if to begin with, if you did go to mass or no maybe you didn't go to the mass because that was not your what you were there for at luc for most of your you know your time
3: um yeah i don't mass just isn't important to me okay um, that might make me a bad catholic we cut that
0: out
2: <laughs>
3: if, if i do go to mass i'll go by myself but mm. um yeah, it's not that important to me it's not something that i'm gonna be like oh what's up all my homies let's go to mass um no, for me, it's a much more reflective thing. And if I do mm-hmm. go, then I just choose to participate um, kind of silently and independently as an observer rather than just like an evangelical, um, which has its own place, right? Because, you know, building community, strengthening bonds, that that's huge. Um, but that's just not what I do um, in mass. That's not what I like to get out of mass. So for that reason, I, I don't think that like, I've really had like, a group of Catholic friends like that I've never really had group of Catholic friends like that Mm -hmm. Um, probably a
0: good thing to be honest
3: yeah um I did grow up with like yeah like Catholic friends more so like in high school um and stuff like that but yeah I think at Loyola it's a it's a great thing because you get to meet so many people of so many different uh faiths um or lack of faiths um which isn't a bad thing Um, And it's just interesting to just have those conversations and and contextualize um, your own faith with just these different perspectives um, about the world, about God, about God's plural. Um, And I think that that's just dope that that like exchange is uh, really cool. So it's just learning more about stuff from like, oh, like I just never had that exposure growing up um so that's what I, I, I kind of what my question what my uh, response is to that question
0: that is kind of crazy though you said you never had that exposure growing up but for me going to like a non-religious like regular public schools throughout my childhood like I did have that experience so it's crazy that you were having that experience now in your early 20s yeah I
3: mean even even in public school like at most, it was Jewish and Catholic kids um, and maybe some Baptists, but that that's really what it was. And maybe maybe a few atheists or agnostic people, but like that was even in public school. And then Catholic school, I feel like locally, um, it was just like, you might get people who are atheists and maybe other Christian denominations um but yeah i was still kind of centered around that so i didn't really get to have exposure to like people who practice other religions no traction was really formed after that but it's something i still pretty agree with
0: i remember that it was like wasn't like multiple petitions going around like everybody was like reposting them on their instagram and i was just like what's going on yeah yeah i wasn't even in college yet so i was like it's not my problem (laughs) what's something that you think that loyola could be doing better Right now, there's a lot of things.
3: Very that's a very general question. You better on what?
0: Better in like their mission because they're always talking about their mission, diversity, and all this.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the percentage of Black and Brown folks at the university has increased. Um, so I know because I work in CDI so center for diversity equity CDI wait CD wait oh, center for diversity and inclusion my fault inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> i'm used to i'm used to SDMA it was formerly known as SDMA student diversity and multicultural affairs so i'm still learning as CDI Um, But that's where I work, and when we were talking about kind of, like, orientation stuff, we were going over stats, and it was actually a a significant increase of black and brown students at the university. So, that was very reassuring to hear. I was like, oh, that's what's up. Um, And, yeah, I think, like, when you kind of get population shifts like that, it's, it's very exciting. And then it was just talking of, like, hopes for more stuff, and the whole name change around centers was something that, you know, everyone was pretty excited about. Um, and I think that, you know, like, with that change, with that population change also comes the change of like a label. Um, so hopefully if you see this trend increasing, it won't longer be a PWI, um, population wise. Um, so that'd be kind of nice. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I I just think, uh, in terms of Loyola's mission, there's a lot they could be doing, right? They could be, Uh, The whole contract with Aramark um, with their food. Uh, I'm actually going to give them some props because they had like a whole council thing and they're trying to renegotiate their contract and look for other partners. Um, So, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's the university. I I don't, I think as I've kind of like gone through schooling there and I've like been angry with Loyola and was really frustrated with things that they were doing and all these different things with like campus security, racist professors, uh, toxic work environment, um, even former president Joanne Rooney, who I think is still, I don't know what's happening there. Um, but former President Joanne Rooney, because uh, she declared her retirement, I don't know if she's out of her position just yet, um, but there's just all these things that, like, you know, again, is, are, are things that I kind of, like, took in arms, and was like, hey, like, this, this sucks, and I know captured and captivated a lot of anger um, from students um, in terms of response, but I think that, like, a lot of things happening at Loyola are just reflexive of like things that are happening on a much larger scale with universities in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have kind of like insane inflation with tuition, you have lack of support for students, you have, um, just like money being poured into like, even Loyola's stock portfolio, like, they invest so much into the fossil fuel industry. And then on top of that, they're the highest realtor in Rogers Park and have contributed to gentrification. So, like, you, you see this, but then it's also, like, not even that surprising because most universities, most private universities do that. Um, and so you kind of just trace everything and it's just a much larger systemic problem. Um, so even though it, it is fair to get mad at Loyola I and mean, we have seen some significant change, um, like I stated with like Joanne Rooney resigning, which is a win, but w- a weird win, uh, cause they're going to get someone else in a president, uh, role. And then that's just going to be a whole nother thing. Uh, and then the whole thing with Aramark is a win, I would say. Uh, and then the population of black and brown students increasing at the university is also a win. Um, but at the same time, like acknowledging that we've had those wins, but that there's still much, much larger systemic things at play, uh, I think is just interesting to know. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to your question. What I think Loyola could be doing better: um, a lot of probably things. just supporting their students and supporting their local community. I think there's just like in terms of talking about funneling resources. I think that. They're funneling a lot of uh, and even profiting off of like fossil fuel industries with their portfolios and stuff like that. That could be money reallocated. That could be money put into investing in black and brown businesses in eco-friendly businesses and much larger and more diverse stock portfolio. And then even when it comes to, you know, them being the largest um, realtor in Rogers Park and contributing to gentrification, That, I would like to see some, like, you know, maybe potentially some local demonopolizing efforts to kind of break that up, because I was even looking for an apartment. And in that process, you have entire, entire, like, buildings that were existing there for, like, years and years and years and years with proper maintenance and stuff like that. And then as soon as Loyola bought them out, there were staff shortages, And so then you saw people having broken pipes, having things that don't work and need attention. And it took them months to even hear a reply. And so, you know, that comes with just budget cuts and trying to run a much larger business and trying to just seek profit. Um, And I, I think that if that was just cut up, that would be nice, too um so yes that's a very deep question that's a very que- that's a very generalized question I tried to give you a solid answer but the the honest answer is that there's a lot
0: yes I agree how do you feel about the hyper uh advertisement of or advertising of uh Loyola University of Chicago to like high school seniors because like not about you but like when I was a high school senior no other college was as advertised as much as like Loyola, and like they really want um recent graduates of high school to come to Loyola because they advertise it as with this label like we're catholic we're welcoming we're diverse but like how do you feel about that obviously it isn't genuine from what you just said do you think there should obviously be a shift in that in like honesty in our pamphlets and just you know
3: yeah i'd, I'd say maybe i'd push back a little bit on kind of like the dishonesty aspect of it um, just because even though there are problems with it um, there's what they're advertising is technically true. Like they're not breaking any laws. Um, and right. You know, like there's the whole thing of like, Oh, is it legal or is it moral? Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's necessarily moral. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it comes to Loyola and kind of their advertising, that's just like what schools do in general. Um, that's what, I grew up super close to DePaul University and so they bombed us with ads <laughs> and pamphlets and everything and then the more you drive around the city the more you'll see these weird like it's the most disgusting USC yep. logo yep. it's like discover but there's like ideas thing and it's just like what does this say it's so stupid <laughs> and they will be like innovate I I hate the marketing team over at USC <laughs> uh, that's I that is my hot take
0: I was gonna say I don't even know what like what their strategy is this is just like plaster a logo on a bus and then high school people are gonna come
3: (laughs) yeah it's so I do not like UIC's strategy but you know what they're one of the cheaper universities in the Chicagoland area so shout out to them and still incredibly prestigious sorry go ahead
0: I was gonna say we keep on cutting each other off I was gonna say in reality at the end of the day what is most attractive about a Loyola is, for me at least, when I was applying, was the financial help, and I think they should lead with that. Like we, you are allowed to come here. You can come here. Like realistically, you'll be able to financially be safe here.
3: For some students, that's
0: yeah. <laughs>
3: um, they still, I mean, they still like increase tuition every single year. So yeah. That's th- that is relative depending on people's individual packages, um, sure. financial aid packages. Um, But yeah, I I think like we're talking about like the marketing tactics of just like, that's just the industry. That's that's what colleges are gonna be doing. Um, But I think you have like the joke that like, um, like the people of color paparazzi, who just like are on campus trying to take every picture of like any person of color they could see and and then put it on their website. Um, That's pretty true. I've, like, opened up, I've opened up the, uh, like, Sakai, which is, like, our our grading assignment turn-in system, and then I'll just see, like, friends of mine and, like, a professor I had once, and they just plastered on there. I was, like, ooh, and so it's, like, a game. It's, like, where's Waldo, and so we just kind of, like, joke about it because, you know, Loyal is going to try and market who they got. They're like, well, oh, look, we're diverse. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. We, um, Yeah, it's going to be fine. Um, So, you know, they try to market it. And that's just like, that is what it is. It's just kind of like an industry standard. And I don't think that they're sharing anything that's like technically wrong or misleading. um, Because like, they do technically have CDI. They do technically have um the bcc they do technically have like my brother's keeper in these programs for students of color on campus mm-hmm. what i would really like for them to see is like if you are going to be marketing these organizations these centers on campus give them some more money so that they could do more and then reach out a little bit uh, more and just offer more support and aid uh for their students um so it's fine if you market it just make sure that like You're actually taking care of it and fostering something there.
0: Agreed. Give money to the important organizations that you are marketing and advertising. The last question I want to ask you was, um, would you recommend uh, Loyola University of Chicago to someone, to a high school senior, um, even if they're not Catholic? Do you think they still have like much to learn and things that they can get out of going to Loyola? Yeah,
3: it depends on what school you want to go to. Um, If you're going to be a journalism major or a film major, I would maybe recommend DePaul just because program wise, I mean, Loyola has a great program, but like DePaul is kind of like outranking them a little bit, not a little bit by a lot actually. Um, (laughs) um, So yeah, I just think that like, it depends on what your major is going to be and it depends on what experience you're looking for. I could say that truthfully, like, You know, you're going to have to, you're going to find XYZ struggles at Loyola. Um, It might be difficult, but that's really what you're going to get at any university. Um, And so it's just about navigating it, navigating what your needs are as a student, navigating uh, what your aspirations are as a student. And I think that meeting that is more important than me, like being like, oh yeah, like, like always Loyola is going to be an option if you're applying for schools. Um, But I would say much more enthusiastically is that I would encourage people to just look at whatever options they have. and
0: Yeah, and apply to more than two colleges.
3: Or apply to two <laughs> colleges. Do, do what you need to do.
0: True. Everybody has their own style and certainty that they will get in. Yeah, obviously. Thank you, Joelle. Those are really good answers. If you have reached this far, I appreciate you so very much on behalf of the Close on Sunday team. You have just listened to three guests speak about the influence of Catholic education and the opportunities that one can obtain. Make sure to check out our Instagram, Close on Sunday Podcast, for updates on where you can listen to our episodes and when these are episodes are coming soon to you. Let us know also on Instagram if you are liking our episodes. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you have enjoyed listening. Until next time. Thank, Thank you, you for tuning, tuning in to into this episode. episode. You can find us on Instagram, link below. And listen to us on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.